Good morning, everybody. I see you, your uh, cell phone set the time back for you. I woke up this morning wondering, did I, am I on the right time or not? I guess it was. Uh, this morning, uh, it might be a little bit more reading than usual, but this is a Bible study, so we read the Bible. <laughs> uh, first off, let's uh, open with prayer. Lord, we ask that you touch our minds and our hearts. Bless this time and help us find something in it that will bring glory to you. Help us change whatever needs to be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. And these, uh, and I'll, I've said it before, I'll say it probably every time. These uh, lessons are not, they're not just character studies. In a way they are, but we're supposed to be finding in these people what is going to uh, make us more valuable to the kingdom. We learn from their mistakes, hopefully. And I've talked about this character before. I shouldn't call him character, but I won't make it sound like he was an actor. But there's so many lessons involved in this, and if you, and I'm not going to read verbatim from number 16, but that's where this account is found at. And so I want to talk about the sons of Korah. But you can't talk about the sons of Korah without talking about Korah. And you can't talk about the sons of Korah without finally winding up with us. So, it'll be a little bit of reading here, but we're all grown, we'll make it. The story of the sons of Korah in the Old Testament is truly a tale of two fathers and two destinies. The story begins with the Israelites of Moses' time as they journeyed through the wilderness just after leaving Egypt. In Numbers chapter 3, God set aside the Levites out of the tribes of Israel for full-time service to Him. They were ordained to take care of the tabernacle and all of its implements, as well as the Ark of the Covenant. Only the descendants of Aaron, however, were allowed to serve as priests. The three sons of Levi were Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. The Gershonites were responsible for the care of the tabernacle and the tent, its coverings, the curtain at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the curtains of the courtyard, the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle and the altar the ropes, and everything related to their use. The Mamarites were appointed to take care of the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, posts, bases, and all its equipment, and everything related to their use, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, tent pegs, and ropes. The Kohathites were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. They were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the curtain, and everything related to their use 
And they were under the direct supervision of Eleazar, son of Aaron. Unlike the Gershonites and the Merarites, who were allowed to transport the items under their care on carts, the Kohathites had to carry their items, the holy things of the tabernacle on their shoulders. They had the arduous burden of transporting these items from place to place as the camp moved. But they were not allowed to actually touch the items or they would die. The priests had to wrap the sacred objects in special coverings before they were transported as recorded in Numbers 4 and 15. Many of the Kohathites began to disdain this task and to covet the role of the priests. Korah, the grandson of Kohath, he began to run with another group of Reubenite malcontents, namely Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Paleth. You know that, and I found this interesting. I'm going to try not to get out in the bushes because Brother Price said you got to Go where you're going. <laughs> we never hear of this guy again. And I, I've read, as many times as I've read this chapter, I thought, on, what happened to him? Well, I was sort of interested, so I started looking into some Jewish history. And while it's not recorded in the Bible, the Jews kept history of these type of things. And, uh, they hold with the story that On's wife got him out of the trouble with Korah. And the way she did it was he protested, or she told him basically, this is not going to end well. You need to change course and get away from these people. And he said, how am I going to do it? I've already told them when they call me, I'll come. And she said, you'd let me take care of that. So she got him drunk. Yeah. She got him drunk and put him to bed. And sat in the tent door. And she uncovered her head. And when the men came to get him to say, all right, buddy, it's time. The happening's fixing to happen. She, was, she wasn't modest in their culture in their time. Because her head was uncovered. So they, they wouldn't come any closer. So that's how she ran them off. That's what the Jews say. Whether it happened, I don't know, but it's a pretty good story. <laughs> Moses summoned the rebellious men to stand before God and burn incense. And Moses said, this do. And when I read that, Something went through me. Those two words. And I'm going to tell you, church, when the man of God, if he actually is the man of God, if he says this do, you better take notice. Now why did he, why did he pick burning incense? Out of all the things he could have had him do. And they did it out of order. The fire, 
to burn incense was not supposed to be done in the tent door, the burning of it. And the fire was only supposed to come off the altar. To me, and I'm reading into this, does that mean that prayer and praise is useless if it's not backed up by sacrifice? God warned Moses to let the assembly know to get away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, their households, and the other rebels. Then a remarkable and terrifying event happened. Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. Because Korah was, he was calling into question everything. He was saying that Moses made up all this stuff. He said, you take too much upon you. He was, they were still bitter, and it's a whole other story, but Abiram and Dathan were still bitter over Egypt. Korah's beef was with Moses, or not so much with Moses as with Aaron, because he wanted to be high priest, but their beef was with Moses. So Korah, he calls everything into question. And Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and called it, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them, with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. Not me and Aaron. As soon as he finished saying all these things, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households. And all, the associate, all those associated with Korah together with all their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. And the earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, they could still hear them. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled shouting, the earth's going to swallow us too. And at that point, fire came from the Lord and consumed the 250 men, his co-conspirators, who were offering the incense. It's recorded in Numbers 16, 28 through 35. Although this clearly marked the end of Korah, we discover that Korah's sons, perhaps too young to understand their father's uprising, or maybe too cognizant of God's authority to join in the revolt were spared. Recorded in Numbers 26, 9 through 11. That brings us to the sons of Korah. Who are the sons of Korah in the Bible? The sons of Korah's communication with God at the depths of their despair and their praise of God at the height of their joyfulness 
has been passed down to those who read God's Word. The name Korah is mentioned 44 times in the Bible, always in the Old Testament. The phrase, sons of Korah, appears in Exodus, Numbers, and in the Psalms. I thought it was interesting. The name Korah means baldness. Now, not the same baldness as this dome, but as in baldness or frost or frozen. And it's a reference, according to Jewish history, of the rift he caused. Because this happened and didn't, everybody didn't get up the next day and just go on with life. All right, let's pack her up and move to the next place. It changed the history of their journey. Exodus 6 and 24 lists the names of three sons of Korah. Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph who formed tribes of a group of people known as the Korites. To clarify, these were Korah's literal children, not the authors of the Psalms. However, this excessive line seems to go all the way through the prophet Samuel and beyond. They appear to separate themselves from their father's legacy. Either they were old enough to distance themselves when, jo when Korah joined forces with Dathan and Abiram, or too young for God to take action against them, since they were not cognizant of their father's actions. God had a purpose and a plan for the line of Korah. After seven successive generations, the prophet Samuel arose from the line of Korah, the genealogy of which is recorded in 1 Chronicles 6, 31 through 38. The Korahites became doorkeepers and custodians for the tabernacle. 1 Chronicles 9, 19 through 21 records this. One group of Korites joined King David in various military exploits and won the reputation for being expert warriors. However, the most remarkable thing to note about the sons of Korah is that during the time of King David, they became known as great leaders in chorale and orchestral music in the tabernacle. Haman the Korite at a place of great importance as a singer, along with Asaph and Ethan. These individuals played an important role in the thanksgiving services and pageantry when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. David formed an elaborate organization for song, instrumental music, and prophesying through these men. Haman, a grandson of Samuel, penned Psalm 88, and was known for his wisdom. Asaph, one of the leaders of David's choir, served as a musician and a seer. Other men by the name of Asaph served men such as Hezekiah and Nehemiah. And Ethan, another one of David's chief musicians, also served as a prophet like Asaph. He, Asaph, and Amon 
served as chorale directors of the Psalms, which would have been accompanied by music. Now the Psalms are poems, and poems intended to be sung. Not doctrinal treatises, nor even sermons. They are often songs of praise, worship, lament, anguish, and confusion. Where do the Psalms of the sons of Korah fit into this book of Scripture thematically? They express trust in God, but also confusion, frustration, and ultimately praise. So, basically, they express all our human emotions. It's not wrong. I've been frustrated with God. God and I have had some not solemn conversations. But He's my God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Psalm 42 and 1. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Though he struggles to understand how God would allow him to suffer, still the writer trusts God to restore his joy and save him. He declares, You are my King. O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Though you were pushed down, through you we push down our foes. But verses 18 and 19 lament, our heart has turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. He concludes in verse 26, Rise up, rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The psalmist is almost incredulous. How could this powerful God, who has pledged to help those who love him, allow their enemies to overcome Israel? Why, God? This is a psalm of desperation and pleading. Remember what we said about Disobedience. It sets in motion events that affected unintended people. Psalm 45 and 1 sets the tone for a song of praise. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like a pen of a ready scribe. Psalm 46 is also a song of praise. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. At the close of Psalm 47, there is more joyful singing. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Finally, in Psalm 48, the writer extols the glorious character of the Lord Almighty. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. The sons of Korah shared their woes 
but also proclaim, proclaim their love of God. And they also celebrated him. Korah has stated before, he didn't do this. He had no respect for the position of Moses or Aaron, much less for the men. And what happened to Korah? Ultimately, he was engulfed by the world through disobedience. Now we know accounts in the Old Testament are physical. In the New Testament are spiritual. You see where that's going? When you're disobedient and when you question, is the man of God really the man of God? Do you realize what you're opening yourself up to? If there's no fear, you got to have a fear of God. You can't say you've got a fear of God if you do not show the man of God in the position where he is. It's not about respecting a person. It's about whether or not you're obedient to God. Why were not the sins of their father visited upon the sons of Korah? It would seem that these sons loved the Lord their God, whereas Korah himself sinned grievously by driving a wedge between members of the family of Israel. Remember, disobedience has unintended consequences. The sons turned to God in their anguish, anger, and confusion. They praised Him in beautiful verses which were possibly sung in public. Certainly their communication with God at the depths of their despair and their praise of God at the height of their joyfulness has been passed down to us. Now their names, I'm not going to kid you I don't really understand why they're named what they're named and apparently nobody else does either Asir in Hebrew means prisoner or fettered Elkanah means God created and Abiasaph means father of gathering or gatherer I'm not gonna lie the temptation was there to try to swap those names around and make some little catchy sentence out of that. <laughs> but it wasn't there. So I said, nah, I think that's me, not God. It would have been cool, though. The reason for these names is not revealed. Names tend to divide and characterize us. What are the takeaways? One thing that I noted was these men are not called by their individual names. They're just referred to as the sons of Korah. I wonder how that stuck with them. I mean, how would you like to be the son of the lion murdering idiot? Come on up. 
You're not destined to repeat your family's past failings. Psalm 44, they tell of how their fathers told them how great God was. Now, you could say that fathers is referring to teachers. Or you could say, actually, their fathers got over it and told them how great God was. Either works. Just, in, just as Korah set in motion a chain reaction of destruction, his children reversed it by turning to God. And here, if you don't take nothing else away, the reason they did was choosing the identity of a servant. I don't read where Korah ever inquired to God for guidance on his rebellion. He already assembled his 250 men before he even went to Moses. And he wasn't even honest with them. He tells Moses all the people are holy. God's amongst them. What do we need you for? He didn't tell them that when the dust settles, I'm going to be the head honcho. By the way, I'm the big kahuna now. He left that part out. He wasn't even... And that's what you get. People that are lying on the man of God are not honest with each other. By their service in different capacities, they had become servants of a God, not regulated to a certain collective identity that governed their influence. What identity do we take to ourselves? But do we sort ourselves? Korah, his vision never went further than his own strength. In Psalms 46 and 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. That was written by the sons of Korah. You realize that Korah saw all the miracles? He was born in Egypt. He saw all the plagues. He saw Moses show up. You're going to be such a fool, you're going to challenge the man that walked up. You remember whenever it says that, uh, one of the Psalms, I can't remember which, oh, it talks about how the children of Israel turned back and they limited the, the God of Israel. They turned back after they had seen what Moses did in Zoan. Zoan in old Egyptian means stronghold. Not only did Moses stumble in out of the desert, you remember Janice and Jambrace, the, they were the two soothsayers, whatever, Egyptian witch doctors. He challenged them. He didn't tell them to come out of Egypt and see me. He said, I'm coming in to see you. His snakes ate up their snakes, all that. Korah saw all this. He saw the Red Sea parted. Passover, 
but he still didn't fear God. Psalms 44, 1 through 7. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days, in the times of old. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plants them. How thou dost afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did they their own arm save them. By thy right hand and thine arm, and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. Through thee we will push down our enemies, and through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hated us. That's quite a difference from their father. That's how they saw God. Korah thought his age and wealth entitled him to head the family and be priest. He hated his cousin. He didn't think he should have been head of the family. Psalms 42, 1 through 2. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? They called hold of something that Korah never saw. 1 Samuel 15 and 22. This is one of Korah's descendants. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. He saw himself as better than Aaron, better than Moses. He knew better. 1 Samuel 16 and 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, again, Korah's descendant, talking about David, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him, David's brother. For the Lord seeth not as men seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh at the heart. Anybody ever heard of Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> you know who Jethro is? Max Bayer Jr. was his name. <clears throat> He's a classic example of Hollywood typecasting. 
Known around the world as Jethro Bodine in the smash TV series, The Beverly Hillbillies. But after the show, Bear did not find work as an actor in Hollywood for three years. He had to finally put himself to work in his own movie. Because all anybody saw was Jethro. Bear finally had to put himself to work as an actor in his own movie, which he also wrote and produced with a friend. Although it never let him escape his Jethro character, he did earn more than $35 million at the box office and in rental receipts. This after an initial investment of just over $100,000. Not bad for a dumb hillbilly. Now, we've covered Korah, the sons of Korah. What about me and you? We also sometimes, without realizing it, typecast each other or divide ourselves into categories based on what we think we know. I got a lot of friends that are... Uh, they go to other types of churches. And when they ask me where I go, I kind of cover up my label. I say, I'm not going to tell you where I go. I'm going to tell you what I believe. And you tell me what I am. You'll be shocked to find out that many times we believe very similar when you remove the names and we don't sort each other these walls don't come up I'm not listening to you because I heard this one time so what identity do you take to yourself do I share some of Cora's weaknesses <laughs> have I become focused on what I can control? He did that. He didn't have any faith in God. He didn't believe God. He didn't. You wouldn't come against the man of God if you believed. If you had any fear of God. He was a fool. But, do I have any of that in me? Do I only believe in what I control? <clears throat> if the depth of my perception of God and my knowledge of God, if my relationship of God doesn't go any further than my appearance, well, what do you say? I'm drinking milk when I ought to be eating meat. If I take unto me all the accessories, I used to ride horses a lot. Who knows? I wish I had back all the money I spent on them. But I still collect spurs. I love them. I don't know why. 
but I love spurs. I love saddles. I got quite a few saddles, but I don't have a horse. <laughs> How about that? A wise man once wrote, I love not the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for his swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that they defend. If I'm not careful, I get so preoccupied with this and my status. And before long, I'm not a servant. Yes, I think Korah longed for, in some ways, I think it's why him and Dathan and Abiram got along so well. They, they longed for the days of Egypt where they were somebody. Dathan and Abiram were taskmasters in Egypt. It's what Jewish history records. They were troublemakers. They preyed on their own people. And Korah had wealth and influence. Now all of a sudden, he's taking orders. He had close contact with the things in the tabernacle. He couldn't touch them with his hand, he'd die. But he wasn't a servant. He didn't see himself as a servant. He couldn't get through his head that they were going somewhere. Somebody once said, a ship can't sail on yesterday's wind. Korah was a leafy tree, but he didn't have any fruit. That's what this is. These are leaves. Where's the fruit at? In me. But you know what? In the end, the tabernacle got moved. Without Korah. Korah saw himself as a Levite, not a servant. He didn't want to change the way things were going in the tabernacle. He just wanted it to stand still. God's going to use somebody, people. The tabernacle's going to move. With us or without us. Millions of lost souls are going to be saved between now and that time. God doesn't necessarily have to use us. What did he say? Thou good and faithful. I had to look over myself a lot when God was dealing with me through this. I remember Paul from when, and I call him Paul, not out of disrespect, but I've known him since he was 12 years old. And just because he's Paul 
That doesn't mean he's not God's man. Am I going to let the, the world engulf me? And who knows whoever else it will affect? Because I won't be a servant. I want to be the head. I don't want that. I want to find the place God has that I'm supposed to feel. Even if that does mean carrying things on my shoulders and I don't get to touch the holy things that the priest gets to touch, that's fine. Somebody once told me the best place to be is in the will of God. Stand together with me. Lord, we thank you. And we come before you with a fear of God in our heart. That someone will take something from this and be better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get a donut and some water.